Your favorite PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors are right here every week on Next on the Tee. Join Chris as the greats of the game share their stories, insights and playing lessons. Now, back to Chris and more of the show. Now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is one of the top instructors anywhere on the planet, and that's Tim Cusick. Let me remind you a little bit about Tim's background. He has been a member of the PGA of America since 1989. He has been named one of the best teachers in the state of Texas by Golf Digest every year since 2011. And this year, he has been named one of their top 100 instructors in America. He's a three-time winner of the Teacher of the Year Award by the Northern Texas PGA. He has also won the Northern Texas PGA's Horton Smith Award, which is given annually for outstanding and continuing contributions to professional golf education. Last year, he achieved master professional status after graduating from the PGA program. Tim has coached and helped more than 150 junior players secure a college golf scholarship. He has also coached players like Bruce Crampton, Brad Elder, Hollis Stacey, and Sandra Palmer. He formerly managed and taught at the Hank Haney Golf School and worked with Hank for 23 years. He is currently the Director of Instruction at the Four Seasons Resort and Club in Irving, Texas. He's written a great book titled The Four Keys to Improve Your Game, which you can find out on Amazon.com. He can also be heard Sunday mornings on the Pro Shop Golf Show on 103.3 FM ESPN Radio in Dallas from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And I'm honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Tim, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, thanks for having me again. Thanks for the great intro as well. Uh, you're absolutely welcome, my friend. So catch us up. It's been a little while since I got to have you on the show. And by the looks of things, things have been going pretty well for you. Catch us up. You know, it, it has been. Uh, we've had uh, I've had a good run here in, in, in Texas the last year or so and achieved some milestones, certainly with becoming a master professional with the PGA and then also with uh, Golf Magazine. Uh, making me one of their top 100 instructors in the United States. That was a, a you know a lifelong uh, lifelong accomplishment that uh, I achieved earlier this year, and and uh, it's great to have those. And but it's great to to show up every day on the lesson tee and teach all different types of golfers. Yeah, and I, and I don't want to gloss over either one of those two things because those are both major milestones in a career. So talk about master professional status. Talk about what it takes to go from being a PGA professional to a master professional. So you have to have uh, a certain number of years under your belt as a PGA professional, eight or ten years, I believe. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm not exact. But after that, you have to uh, you have to specialize uh moving into the certification process, whether it is in golf instruction or whether it is in golf operations. I chose golf instruction, obviously, after my, my, uh, my long teaching career that I've had. And I achieved uh, to be a certified golf professional with the PGA in 2017. And, you know, I thought, okay, I've, I've, I've done what I've, I've wanted to do. I've become certified as a, as a PGA professional. And then I thought, you know what, there's one more level, it's, it's to be a master professional, and I thought, you know, if I got to certification, why not try and be a master professional? I mean, it, it's the pinnacle, of, uh, the pinnacle of the PGA in, in terms of your expertise, and so that took about uh, four or five months. I was able to use my book that you talked about, The Four Keys to Improve Your Game, to uh, use as my thesis. It's almost like getting your master's in, in, uh, in school. And uh, I had to go down to Port St. Lucie and present a, a PowerPoint and uh, give a golf lesson and go through about a 45-minute question and answer, as well as 
a number of other things. And uh, thankfully, I, I was able to convince them that I should be a master professional. So from there, we get the top 100 instructors in America by Golf Digest. What was that like? And is that is that sort of one of the things you get a call one day and say, congratulations, Tim, you're in our top 100. How did you learn about it? You know, every every two years, uh, Golf Magazine sends out a questionnaire in terms of uh, applying for uh, the golf that the top 100 um, teachers in America. And I filled out that application, I'm going to say, probably for the last 10 to 12 years or so, five or six times. And uh, you fill it out. Uh, it's quite lengthy. And you first have to be nominated by a current top 100 uh, golf instructor. And uh, so I was nominated. I've been nominated the last 10 years or so. I fill out the application and uh, it's in the summertime. And then you really don't think too much about it. And they uh, they have a, a board or a panel that, that meets uh, late in the fall or early winter and goes over all the applications and I got a call uh, from a good buddy of mine, Mike Adams, who uh, is in the Hall of Fame, actually, for, uh, for teaching professionals. And he called me in, uh, in December and said, Tim, I, he said, what are you doing? And I was actually I was watching the, the Cowboys. I remember I was watching the Cowboys Indianapolis Colts game and it was halftime. And he said, uh, he said, well, I, I don't want to take you away from the game too long, but I hope you're sitting down because you are now a top 100 golf instructor in the United States. And, you know, it kind of, it kind of caught me off guard because I, you know, you always think that you might get that award, but it hasn't come. And so you don't hang your hat on it when you, uh, you fill out the application. But when he called and, and delivered the news, it, uh, you know, that was, that's a career milestone for me. What was it like? So after you hang up the phone, how do you celebrate? Well, I, I was I was over uh, at a at a, um, a kind of a Cowboys watching party with uh, some of my uh, my wife's um, clients, and there was probably I don't know twenty or thirty uh, people there. Ryan Palmer was one, and the the only thing Mike said is he said you can't <laughs> you can't say anything to anybody because it's not announced yet. But I just wanted to let you know. I just want to let you know I walked out of the room, and so I grabbed my wife and pulled her off to the side and, and told her, and she gave me a big hug. And, and Unfortunately, the Cowboys lost, but it was a very good day for me in December. Ah, good for you. Tim, I want to go back to your book. Again, it's titled The Four Keys to Improve Your Game because it's not a book to tell us how to make the perfect swing. It's, in my opinion, at least, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to be more about the swing flaws that you see that cause the ball to, you know, go places that we didn't intend for it to fly to. So talk about that and talk about some of the flaws that, uh, that you address in the book. You know, Chris, once there's a couple there's a couple milestones that, that all golfers achieve, no matter at what level you are in, in playing the game of golf. And the first one, obviously, is making contact with a ball. And everyone has to go through that. And then you've got to get it up in the air. And once you've got it up in the air consistently, then really there's four things that, that to me, you focus on as you're practicing, as you're playing. And those four things are, are the, the, the trajectory of the shot, is the ball flying as high as you think it should? Is it flying too high? Is it flying too low? The curvature of the shot, curving too much right or too much left, where the ball's hitting on the club face, center, toe, heel, high, low in the club. And then probably the most important thing is, is what are you doing at impact? When the ball's on the ground, 
Are you making contact with the ball on the ground at the same time? Are you hitting the ground behind it? Are you having trouble getting down to the ground? Are you getting down to the ground too much? Are you hitting the ball then being in front of it, hitting the ground in front of the ball? And so those are things that, that, that really stand out to me. And I watch those as I teach and as I watch people hit golf balls. I don't pay that much attention to their swing at first. I'm paying attention to those four things. And no matter who it is, whether it's a tour pro or a 90 shooter, one of those things at least is going to stand out if they're not hitting it the way they'd like to hit it. And that allows me to troubleshoot and jump into the swing exactly where I need to start so I'm making a difference right away in every single person's swing that I watch. I'm not just fixing for the sake of fixing. And that's a great point, Tim, because we hear an awful lot now about, you know, swing your swing, particularly when you look at, you know, players like, you know, Hosung Choi or Matthew Wolf now out on, you know, out on the tour, or of course, Jim Furyk right. over the years, all have very unique swings. So all things that, you know, that we do in, 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 the, in the backswing don't seem to matter as long as we can, you know, square the club face at impact. So what are you doing when you see somebody that's got a very unique swing? What are you looking at? Are you looking at going, oh, my goodness? Or are you just c- concerned about how that person is squaring the club face when it makes contact? Well, it, 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 it's interesting you asked me that because that was really part of the genesis of my book. I was, I was uh, teaching at the Four Seasons about 10 years ago, and this guy came to me for a lesson, and he had a really, really unique swing. I mean, he made Matthew Wolf look like Ben Hogan. And so when I started watching this guy, you know, I just I heightened my awareness, not so much about the uniqueness of his swing, but really what stood out to me, what am I trying to fix? What, what, what flight, what impact am I trying to improve with him and not get hung up about the uniqueness of his golf swing? And so it just, when, when I have somebody like that, it just heightens my awareness even more as to how important it is to focus on those four keys first and for, first and foremost and not so much about just are they turning correctly or is the club swinging up and down the plane right? You know, those, those are all important, but I've got to start with first things first because you and I both know that you can only focus on so many things at once when you're swinging, and that list is very, very small. And so you've got to make sure that whatever swing keys you're giving somebody, they, they, they get the most bang for their buck. They, they, make, they make a difference. I mean, that's something that I pride myself in is when I teach – I, I make I make corrections and I get I get better flight and better impact very very quickly in my in my lessons. That's because I'm able to start in the proper place every time. Tim, switching gears just a little bit, and for those of us you know who are weekend hackers and we're lamenting you know why we never seem to get any better, and and maybe we came into this golf season saying, look, my goal this year is I want to break whatever it is, eighty, ninety, or a hundred. Are, are there things unique to players kind of in those categories of those three kind of 80, 90 to 100? Are there different things that you would want to focus on? If I came to you and said, hey, Tim, you know, I'm a I'm a 26 handicap. I want to break 100. Is it different for what you're going to work on with me than if I came to you and said, hey, look, I'm trying to break 90 or I'm trying to break 80? Yeah, I, I think so, Chris. I think, OK, first, if you start with someone that that that's challenged to break 100, OK, they they have a lot of room to improve, obviously, and and they probably have room to improve in every area of the game, whether it's management, 
or ball striking or putting or chipping or, 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 you know, whatever it is. And so I would look in each of those areas with them and just give them some, some keys. So for instance, in management of the game, I would, I would just try and impress upon them that, you know what, if you can just tee off on the side of trouble and aim away from trouble or tee off on the opposite side of wind and hit back into the wind so that you can use the entire fairway, at least off the tee 18 times around, you got a chance to get the ball in play a little bit better. And then I would ask them to just focus on trying to be better at, at, at making solid contact, at, at getting the golf ball up in the air and making solid contact. Work towards that. Even if that means just making practice swings and setting three tees down and give yourself a little bit of room and hit that tee in the middle and miss the tee on the outside and the inside to help them with their hand-eye coordination and to help them find the golf ball more. And then if you look at the guy that the, 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 the guy or gal that, that struggles to break 90, I would say, you know what? We've got to figure out how you can be better with your short game because you're still three-putting and you're two-chipping too many times. So if you can improve your lag putting skills, just simply practice to the edge of the green. Start at 20 feet. Hit a putt to the edge of the green. Go to 25 feet. Go to 30 feet. And work on trying to gauge distance better with your putting. And then I always say, if you draw a circle around the green from 40 yards out, if your lie is not obstructed, or you don't have to, you don't have to, to, to go over something that you can't or around something, you want the next shot to be on the green with a putter in hand. I don't care if it's from 50 feet, 30 feet, or 10 feet, because I haven't seen an amateur golfer yet that's better with their wedge than they are with their putter. So I want their putter in their hand as many times as I can to help them shoot a lower score. And then you get the guy or the lady that needs to, to try and break 80. And when you're trying to break 80, you're now looking for probably a quarter of a shot here, a half a shot here. You've already been able to hit the golf ball pretty decent. But maybe you have to start looking at saying, okay, if the pin's in the front of the green and that yardage is 140, then I'm going to play to 145, which is just past the pin, and that gives me a little bit of room for error. And trying to look at things like that that allow you to hit just a few more greens around to give yourself a chance to break 80. And Tim, that's a great point. And, I, and I'm a guy, I'm, I'm consistent, 80 to 85. And I'm that guy that can't seem to get over that 80 hump. And you're right. When, you know, when I'm trying to, you know, I, I'm concentrating hard. I'm trying to do all the things right that I'm supposed to do. But then there's that one last piece that you just mentioned that I can't get over. And, uh, you know, boy, it, it sure would be helpful right to you know from a mental side to understand that I'm not going to strike the ball perfectly every time and that I think that's my problem I expected you know that 140 shot which to me is a 9 iron that I'm going to hit that 140 yards every time and I don't that's the, that that's just the pure and simple thing is I don't and I can't get that out of my head and if I would take maybe a 3 quarter 8 iron and try to hit it a little further and then give give myself that opportunity to if I thin it a little bit or if I hit it just a little bit fat that I still give myself the opportunity to putt and make you know two putts for par probably gets me where I'm trying to go you know what Chris I had a female college player that I was on the golf course with two days ago and we had this exact example it was it was the 18th hole at the TPC course where they used to play the Byron Nelson and the pin was up front 
and you've got a bunker that sits front right, and you've got some water that sits to the left of the green. And I and I said to her, I said, okay, well, she shot it with her bush now, and I said, what's the yardage? And she said, 140. And I said, okay, I want you to play this shot 145. And she kind of looked at me, and I said, yeah, hit it, hit it 145. And so she pulled out, whether it was her 8 or 9 iron, and she hit a nice-looking shot that was headed towards the pin, and it ended up about four feet from the pin, just to the right of the pin. And I said, I thought you were going to hit that 145. And she said, well, I missed it just a little bit. And I said, exactly. That's exactly why you were trying to play that 145. Because if you hit it 145, you have a 15-foot putt, and that's great. But if you miss it, now you got a four-foot putt, and that's even better. Yeah, that's great advice. And uh, certainly something I'm going to make sure that I try to get through my head. Tim, I, you know, it's Tuesday, and for you, that typically means it's Golf Tip Tuesday, which is ah, a series of yes. videos that uh, <laughs> that you put out there on your Twitter page, and people can find at Tim Cusick Golf. I want to tap into a few of those for our listeners, starting with one of the basic, you know, fundamentals, which is stance. Should we be taking the same stance for every club, or should we, you know, should the distance and you know the, how how far our uh, feet are apart? Should, those, should that change as we're going up and down the bag with the different clubs? Does it get wider and more narrow, or is it the same every time? That's a great question, Chris, and I, I appreciate you bringing up Golf Tip Tuesday. I love doing those for our club at the Four Seasons, and, and I get a lot, of, uh, a lot of followers on Instagram and Twitter and, and Facebook that, uh, that, that watch those each and every week and, and love the, the, the little tips or the little ideas that I have. So with the stance, I always like to measure from the inside of the heels in terms of the width of the stance because you can flare your toes out and kind of fake yourself out a little bit. So the inside of the heels is a great measuring point. And then I always say with your short irons, you want the inside of your heels to kind of be in line with your armpits. You want the stance narrower, and the reason being is that the narrower stance takes the center of your body and it puts it more on top of the ball which allows you naturally to hit more down and stay on top of the ball with the shorter irons. I take a half a step out with my middle irons inside the heels to about the middle of the shoulders for the middle irons, and then I'll take another half a step out with both feet to where the inside of my heels are outside my shoulders for any club, club that has a head cover or if you've got a long iron in your bag. And so as you widen your stance, it takes the center of your body and it moves the center of your body a little bit more behind the ball. And as you have less loft on the club face, it allows you to hit more of the back of the ball so you can launch it correctly. Tim, one more before I let you go, one more playing lesson before I let you go. And I want to talk about fairway bunkers because I think that's a shot most of us struggle mm -hmm. with, whether it's we're thinning it and you know, we may not get it out of the bunker at all because we've hit it low and it hits the face of the bunker and stays in. Or we're sculling it and it's going way, way you know, across the green or way over the green, that sort of thing. So when we're in a fairway bunker, and just for example uh, purposes, let's say I'm 150 yards out, I'm in a fairway bunker. How should I be playing that shot? You know, Chris, probably the most difficult shot for anybody that doesn't have their name on the back of the bag and playing for a living. So that means all amateur golfers, even scratch golfers. And it's a very difficult shot because you have to be so precise with the bottom of your downswing. There is no room for error. And so what I would say and what I would suggest for, for amateur golfers, and this is what tour players do, 
is the first thing they do is they, they shorten the length of their club a lot of times, which means just choking down maybe a quarter to a half an inch. And, and all that does is take some of that sand that's underneath the golf ball out of play just a little bit. The second thing that they'll do is they'll put the ball maybe just a fraction farther back in their stance, maybe somewhere for a right-handed golfer in between their nose and their right eye. That will help them get a little bit more solid contact. And by doing that, you ensure that you've got a chance to, 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 to get the ball out of the bunker. The third thing that they do is they might make just a little bit more narrower stance, similar to what I just talked about, to get the center of their body more on top of the golf ball. And then you've got to get a good base with your feet. You're not, you don't want a lot of movement going in the backswing. So you might feel like you're making maybe a one-third backswing and then all the way through through swing to get the movement going forward so that you can strike the golf ball first. And it's a, and it's a shot that you've got to be very precise with, like I said. And, and actually, if you make a mistake, it's better a little thin than a little heavy. But it really demands the bottom of the downswing being in the proper spot. Tim, I saw a nice Twitter message uh, to you from another great instructor that I've been blessed to have on the show a few times, Keith Jarvis. I saw that out uh, just yeah. a couple of days ago, congratulating you on being named a top 100 instructor. But how do you, uh, how have you and Keith gotten to know each other? I used to, I used to give Keith lessons at PGA West when I worked there before I was at the Hank Haney Golf Ranch. This was in the late 80s, early 90s. And he was just a, a, a guy that was looking to improve his game and maybe try and play a little bit for a living way back when. And uh, he followed me to, to Dallas a couple times, and I helped him then. And I know now he's he's into the game, and he's and he's a very good instructor. And every once in a while, we we touch base and and uh, and, and, and exchange uh, messages on social media. I haven't seen him in a while, but uh, I'm happy to see that he's having some sex some some success in uh, in the golf world in terms of teaching the game of golf. That's awesome. Tim, uh, before I let you go, talk about the Four Seasons Resort that you're at and the facilities that you have out there in Irving, Texas. Chris, we've got a great 36-hole property, a Four Seasons uh, hotel, about 425 rooms, 325 of which are in a tower, and then another 100 or so that are around the first and 18th hole of uh, our TPC golf course. We've got an incredible fitness and spa facility if that's something that you like, as well as uh, indoor-outdoor tennis courts. And we're actually going through right now a, a bunker renovation from all the rains that we had last fall. We've got 136 bunkers on, on both golf courses and practice facilities, and we are replacing it with absolutely pure white sand that you might see at Augusta National or other very high-end facilities. And we probably have about uh, six holes done on each course right now, that job will be complete sometime in August. And I'll tell you what, I got in one of those bunkers the other day, two days after they finished it, and it felt like it had been there for 10 years, and I thought I was playing a bunker shot out of Augusta National. Wow, that's awesome. Tim, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media. On, on Instagram, uh, on uh, Facebook, and on uh, Twitter at Tim Cusick Golf. And as you said, we've got a radio show every Sunday on uh, ESPN Dallas. If you download the ESPN Dallas app or just download 103.3 FM ESPN in Dallas, and we're from 9 to 10 Central, 
and myself and Courtney Canal, a fellow golf professional in Dallas, and Brady Tinker, who is a sports uh, uh, cast uh, personality in Dallas. We do a great job from 9 to 10 Central every single Sunday. Similar to you, and I'll tell you what, Chris, I love seeing your tweets and how nice you are to all the the golf instructors in the in the uh, in the United States. And I'll tell you what, you're one of the best in the craft. That's for sure, my friend. Oh, I appreciate you saying that. It means a great deal to me, Tim. Thank you. Well, Tim, it's always a privilege having you as uh, as part of the show. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and join me. I hope you'll do it again real soon, my friend. It's uh, it's always Absolutely. a privilege. Anytime, Chris. Thanks so much. Have a great night. You do the same, Tim. All the best to you and your family. Thank you. That is the great Tim Cusick, C-U-S-I-C-K, Cusick. He's, uh, he, like I say, he's one of the most decorated instructors anywhere on the planet. And, uh, you know, even in the uh, intro that I did for him, didn't even name all of the great awards that Tim has won. So I uh, can't thank him enough for his time. And he's fantastic. Again, when you think about uh, needing an instructor somewhere in that area, please go see him down at the Four Seasons. And be sure to check him out, like you said, on 103.3 FM ESPN Radio down there in Dallas, 10 to 11 Eastern, 9 to 10 Central Time. And then check out his uh, his great Twitter page, at Tim Cusick Golf, and you can see some of those great instructions that he gives out every Tuesday, those Tuesday tips. So looking forward to having Tim back on the show again real soon.